just March. And the Green Minds Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, the reason that we're here is we really want to give you a like insider intro into what it feels like to be part of a climate march and what everyone is thinking on the streets. And if you can hear us over the wind and the rain and the chanting voices, um, yeah, we'd love to give you a little taste of what it's like here today. And we're back in the studio now, significantly warmer, more educated, and lightly exhausted. Uh, But last Saturday, as I'm sure you've guessed, we were up in Glasgow, reporting from the Justice March at COP26. Alec and I ditched the world leaders and their 400-plus private planes to join the over 100,000 people taking to the streets to unite around climate justice to take the proverbial temperature check on what people are thinking around climate action, justice and change. It was a really diverse crowd and we got talking to people on family, indigenous rights, policy and the role of youth activism in the justice space. In the early afternoon I spoke with Craig, Ellie and their son Oren, all dressed in various shades of green and gold scales. Uh, one of the many families marching for a greener future. Okay, hello, I am here with... Hi, I'm Craig Bryce. And Ellie Forster. What's your name? I know I'm Bryce. <laughs> um, and I guess, where are you guys from and why are you guys here today? We're from, I'm from Glasgow originally, but live up in Inverness. And I'm down here because I think we have to um, recover a different set of values. Um, Indigenous values, basically, belief systems that don't use the earth as an infinite source of profit because it's not working. So I'm just down to try and back that up. Absolutely. Um, and, and you guys? Yeah, well, the same. And also we're here with our seven-year-old son to show him the power of the people, getting everybody together and saying the same thing and making change happen. Totally. I, I wish I'd gone to more protests as a kid. <laughs> um, I've been seeing a lot of dinosaur costumes today. Is, is there a specific trend or idea around that? Well, for me, um, I see the fossil fuel era as a, um, what we're seeing just now is like the death throw of a dinosaur um, in terms of our world leaders, our whole world view and what we're doing. So that's what it means for me. It represents that. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a really apt metaphor. Yeah. If there was one thing that you wanted to come out of, of COP and these two weeks... Uh, what would it be? What would your hope be? Uh, I would hope that it doesn't end up just with a greenwash of net zero. It has to be actual like action taken now to keep the oil in the ground and change our whole way of dealing with everything as GDP based. Because we can't we can't keep going on like that. We need to have a whole different value system, as I say. But it's quite an optimistic ask. One hundred percent. I guess uh, one one question we like to ask is if there is any song or book or piece of art that you could have everyone, every delegate here at COP uh, experience, what would it be? Ooh, that's a good question. The thing that's coming into my mind is not a a song or a piece of art, it's a podcast called For the Wild and uh, and it's been like pretty amazing for us to re-engage with kind of indigenous values and and feel our connection to the land so yeah, I'd go with that. That I'll have to check it out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks so much for talking to me. Have a a great day. 
It was、uh, really lovely seeing them out there soldiering through the rain with smiles on their faces, and we're always happy to shout out another eco podcast. I do love a good podcast recommendation. So I spoke to Patricia about many of the same things. She talked about her love of Scottish folk music and its connection to climate activism, and also on why children need to be part of the climate conversation. I'm here with Patricia, and I just wanted to know, Patricia, what does this climate march mean to you?、Um, I suppose it's a chance to make your voice heard. I think it feels like the voice of big business and the voice of politicians. Are the ones that we hear every day, and these are the voices that are kind of quieting down. So, yeah, it's nice to be able to come and shout about it for a bit.、Um, and you're here with your kids. What does it mean to bring your kids to、um, a protest and a march? And what are you trying to like teach them through being here?、Um, I think again, I think it means everything. We're from Glasgow, and I think their schools have been really quiet about this. There's been very little involvement from the schools. Which I find really disappointing. I think this was a real opportunity to grab every kid in every school in Glasgow and talk about what's going on. The fact that their schools haven't really done it means it's more important than ever to come here today and say, folk all over the world are saying the same thing. The fact that it's not being said in your classroom is a poor reflection of the school rather than a reflection of what's going on. So, yeah, I'm pleased to see so many kids and so many babies and toddlers here today. Yeah, me too. And I definitely think that they are the future. They're the ones that、Absolutely. are going to help us. They're going to fix it. We've made a mess of it. They're going to fix it. So they need to be here more than I do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm running away. <laughs> They're like, bye, mum. And I guess my last question is: Do you have a book or a piece of music or some art that has? Like inspired you in the climate justice space, and you want people to read or look at or listen to. Um, jeez, that's a very good question. Sorry, I've now I've now put you on the spot. Um, I, I listen to a lot of Scottish folk music,、mm-hmm. and so much of it, well, so much of it is about the land and about recognizing, you know, we are what we come from. We are the land around us and the sea and. Um, so yeah, Celtic Connections is coming up in January, and ninety percent of the performers there will be singing about our land and the fact that that land looks drastically different from fifty years ago is really sad. So yeah, probably anything involved in Scottish folk music to me is about the change we need to make. Thank you so much. I was so happy to meet some locals and and get a Scottish perspective early in the day. As international as the march was, Scots were still by far the largest contingent.、Uh, Glasgow has a long history of labour activism and collective action that really shone through in Saturday's protest. Yeah, I really loved that it seemed like the whole world descended on the streets of Glasgow. I appreciated the emphasis many placed on reconnecting with the land and altering how we value nature and economic growth. This idea that we're overburdening Mother Nature really resonated with me as we walked through the streets. Absolutely, those concepts—family,、uh, indigeneity—they they came up with just about everyone I spoke with. Though there was a lot of mistrust, especially from many of the Aboriginal leaders I heard at the People's Assemblies,、uh, for using commercial or market mechanisms to solve climate problems that, from their perspective, have obvious commercial origins. 
Uh, over the rallying cry of the bagpipes, we caught up with Daniel about building connections and the challenges facing some of the victims of climate change in the context of inequality and rising barriers to global mobility. Nice to meet you, Alec and Sharon. Okay, Daniel, where are you from? Uh, Alec, I'm from Kenya. Oh, and, cool. Uh, I've uh, been living in Glasgow for uh, the last six years. And I feel like uh, migrant justice and climate justice are two very interconnected issues that should not be separated from one another. And uh, I'm glad uh, to be speaking to you guys today uh, down on the protest line. We're, uh, we're so glad to have you. Um, so is, is that what brought you here today, the connection of those two issues? Indeed, um, indeed it is. Because right now we're looking at the UK spending more money on fortifying its borders through the policy that we've heard of being called Fortress Britain. And what that's essentially done is give money to countries in Northern Africa and give money to the southern border in the UK and Devon to create a massive barrier that stops any refugees from coming in and that's creating more chance for detention of people who are fleeing conflict, people who are fleeing poverty, people who are also fleeing climate collapse in their own countries. And a UN estimate has already shown, and this is a very conservative figure, that 200 million people have already been displaced due to problems like severe droughts or much, much more intense rainfall and tropical storm, right? So we have to be able to tell people in this country that we are basically under a governing system that is allowing these people to be either cast out at sea, you know, most people come with children, aren't being protected, most people when they arrive here don't have any legal rights and a lot of them also don't have any right to work, right? So how can you protect yourself under a very racist um, asylum seeker system with a very racist media empire that has kind of brought out a lot of lies and a lot of propaganda against refugees. So that's what kind of brought me out here today to of also course. talk about the climate collapse. And, um, and what, are, what do you expect to achieve today? What do you hope to accomplish with your activism? Oh, we hope to connect with as many people as possible today. And as you can see, there's so many diverse groups and communities down here today. So aside from listening and learning from others, we also want to tell other people a tiny little slice of what our experience of the climate collapse and the catastrophe is so that we can build stronger networks after this COP26 and facilitate these conversations to actually go to places where they matter, especially those who don't have the power or the privilege or the advantages that we do right now. I think that's why it's so important, this, um, the, the march is so international and we've met so many people from different places here. Absolutely, Alec. Yeah, I definitely agree with Daniel. We hear time and time again that it is the most vulnerable who will be the worst affected. It's interesting to hear just how many people will be displaced at the hands of the climate crisis. There isn't a consensus um, on how many have been rendered without a home, but mid-century estimates range into the billions, which is absolutely terrifying. I noticed as we marched from the rain that there were a group of women with matching purple masks marching for feminist climate justice. Women are disproportionately affected by climate change and so I really wanted to understand from her what it meant to march for climate justice but also whether she was optimistic for our future. Okay, hi, I'm here with Karina. Lovely to meet you. Um, and I see that you're wearing a mask that says feminist climate justice. And I just wanted 
Um, to hear a little bit more about what you think um, is important about the intersectionality of feminism and climate change. Yes, I I'm from Brazil and I think that there is no climate justice without climate of gender. And when you talk about women, we know that we, we are being the most vulnerable people by the climate effects. But also we are the people that are in the front of the line of the solutions. And that's why we are here today to talk this to the decision makers. Awesome, yeah, I definitely, I really agree. Um, and like, what's the vibe here? Are you like um, happy to be here? Do you feel positive about where we're going in terms of the change that we can make? Or are you more worried about what the future that I think that when we are in the COP space, I'm very worried because uh, we know that a lot of people is there and don't know exactly what is happening with the communities, the women, the youth people. So, but when we are here, I'm very happy because I know that the solution is it's here. We are making the difference and we know what we want in UN climate justice. Yes. And my last question is, do you have a recommendation on a book or a piece of music or some art that we should listen to or look at um, to inspire us in terms of the feminist climate journey? I think that you can uh, listen to the Brazilian music uh, called a, a group of indigenous people, just women, called Suraras do Tapajós. And I think they can inspire you. Yes. Thank you so Thank much. You. Bye. Bye. Following on that thread, I learned at a panel on Sunday that women are 14 times more likely to die in climate-related disasters than men and represent 80% of climate refugees, um, which maybe I shouldn't have been shocked by, but I was. Um, a lot of intersectional themes brought people together at COP, and political activism was definitely one of them. I spoke to Amy here to champion a specific policy in the UK. Okay, we are here with... Amy McDonnell from Zero Hour, which is the campaign for the Climate and Ecological Emergency Bill. Lovely to meet you, Amy. Um, where are you from and what brings you here today? So I've come up from London, but our campaign is UK-wide. So we're basically calling for a piece of new legislation. So everything that we've got now that's either proposed or actual law doesn't go far enough and hasn't been made specifically in order to deal with the climate and nature crisis. Part of the, the bill involves a climate and nature assembly. So this is a form of deliberative democracy and it means that people from all across, well in our case the UK, will be randomly selected and then made representative of the UK in order to find the fair way forward because um, obviously there are solutions at hand. It really requires public buy-in, so that's something that's really important over these two weeks is to kind of push that public buy-in and like I said we're doing that through the citizens assembly deliberative democracy where people hear from experts talk about what's required and then put forward a proposal fantastic how would you describe the mood today does it does it feel pragmatic or hopeful or nervous I think it's it's a mixture of things I think there is definitely a sort of somber undertone I don't know if that's just the weather. <laughs> but I think it's, there's still, you know, that electricity and the buzz and the sheer number of people here um, feels really important. Okay, thank you so much for talking to us. Yeah, I'm not sure I agree with the somber vibes, but I do agree that this protest really allowed for a space of community and coming togetherness, which was hopeful. 
I don't know. I, I did sense a, a grimness to the energy on the streets. Uh, there's both the optimism of growing numbers and momentum, and that hollow question, what will it take? How many millions need to march? How many hundreds of thousands need to die before our political system rises to the challenge? Um, I met Caro, who's been voicing those demands since before I was born. I am standing here with... Caro. And where are you from? Edinburgh. Oh, fantastic. We just came over on the bus from Edinburgh this morning. I'm one of the coaches. Yeah, one of the oh, coaches as well. I on one of them. <laughs> That's on the great. last one. That's um, And so what brings you here then? I've been involved in climate issues for over 30 years. Friends of the Earth, Green Party, Extinction Rebellion, you name it, a lot. So you're the old guard? I'm the old guard. I'm 76. How do you think that the climate change movement has changed over time? What do you feel defines it right now? Well, it's suddenly grown. Extinction Rebellion did a lot uh, two or three years ago. Then it went into a bit of decline because of the pandemic and everything. But now, with all the youth groups and Fridays for Future and um, all the different groups starting up, you know, I think there's a huge swell of um, interest and concern, thank God, at last, you know. I've been banging my head against a wall for, for years, decades now, you know. <laughs> and some of I mean, I don't believe in the politicians coming up with much. Not a bloody greenwash, you know, I mean, they say one thing and don't, don't do anything. I think one thing that I find so exciting at these marches is um, that I notice there are a lot of sort of younger people, but then a lot of older people as well. Like it's almost an, an intergenerational it's alliance. It's about time, yes. Yeah. Because the young really weren't involved until fairly recently, last couple of years. But now with the, um, the, the school strikes and now Fridays for Future, a lot of kids are getting very involved. I think David Attenborough did a lot of good, you know, with his programs. Do you think that the climate change movement has kind of diluted it in any way or that it loses focus as it becomes more, more mainstream and broadens out? Well, I'm a member of the Green Party, but I'm quite disappointed in them because they've somehow let a very nasty development happen, which means we're not allowed to demonstrate in front of Hollywood, our own parliament. And, that, and the Green Party, well, they didn't want to, but they just had to, they couldn't do anything about it. So I'm a bit disappointed in them. Uh, no, it's it's so difficult, the question of coalition building and and how do you broaden your outreach without uh, sort of compromising on your ambitions. Well, it's like, you know, the old Green Party in Germany, or a few days, I get 20, 30 years ago, they very soon split into what they call realos and fundis, the realists and the fundamentalists, because some people wouldn't compromise and the others would, you know. Very, very hard. Um, and one last question. I, I mean, it's, it's a little grey today, but you can really see the... The sun breaking through, there's there's so much build-up and so much excitement around this COP. Does today, does this march, do these two weeks feel different to you as someone who's who's seen a lot of this movement? I think it's bigger, definitely bigger, definitely, yes. Um, how much effect we have on our idiotic politicians, I don't know. Honestly, Caro and Obama unite in sounding the proverbial klaxon and calling us as young people to play a greater role in shaping the climate discussion and moulding our futures to be more just and green. <laughs> yeah, if, um, if Obama had shown up just one day earlier, he definitely would have talked to us. For sure. 
But I don't think that either of them uh, need needed to worry. We saw so many young people out. I got talking to Ewan, Liz, Louie and Tom about keeping carbon in the soil. I'm here with... I'm Ewan. Liz. Louie. And Tom. Um, and what does climate change mean to you? Solve the world. Um, and so as parents, what's the importance of bringing your kids to a protest like this? Um, it's just showing them that you need to express your opinion and if you believe in something and stand up for it, then you can make a difference. Do you think that schools in the UK in general and just Scotland um, are teaching our kids like the right things and like helping them to be the climate warriors that we need them to be in the future? Um, I think it's getting better, but they could definitely do a lot more. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, do you have any last chance that you want to tell the podcast listeners? Last chance. I like the cool oil one. No cool. Yeah, no oil. Keep the carbon in the soil. Thank you so much. It's uh, it's not really a march without music. Um, as we reached Glasgow Green and the end of our journey through the city, I was walking with some activists who managed a really impressive macarena uh, while hopping along to the pace of the protest. And alongside some inspiring messages, they introduced me to the hottest single charting in Glasgow these days. And I guess I'd start by asking, where are you guys from? Um, my name is Cecilia and I'm from Argentina. Oh, cool. And uh, my name is Kirsten, I'm from Costa Rica. Oh, fantastic. That's so exciting. Um, so why are you guys at COP specifically? What brings you here? What excites you? So uh, in my case, I am a delegate from the youth uh, in Argentina, and I'm trying to represent my my friends and colleagues from the activism uh, needs, and um, we are trying to push politicians to drive climate action with a, an inclusive perspective and trying to to tell everyone that we need climate justice mostly for the people in the vulnerable vulnerable regions like Latin America. Um, absolutely. And what would you guys hope to see from the politicians here at COP? What do you expect from the two weeks? I'd say more ambition because politicians lack ambition and they also lack um, uh, solidarity. So there's, they think mostly about themselves, which is expected in a politician's point of view. But we need to protect the vulnerable states and that is gained with ambition and understanding. <laughs> Um, and, and how do you guys think we can build long-term thinking into a democratic system with such short election cycles and often near priorities? By spreading our voice, uh, everyone has to join this movement, which is from it's for uh, existence. So if people get involved, if people raise their voice, politicians have to hear us. Yeah, the politicians' point of view only lasts for four years. But our point of view lasts for a lifetime, so we have to create an educating, educating, a system that creates advocates, that creates leaders, and out of that we can create change. Okay, one last question: um, If there was a, a song, a piece of art, or a book, you could have everyone here, all the delegates, everyone experience. What would it be? There's no planet B. 
I just think nature. The sound of nature. I that inspires damn, damn me. Good answer. Yeah. I haven't heard that yet. <laughs> I didn't hear the question. What? If there was one uh, music uh, piece or book or piece of art that you would want everyone here to experience, what would it be? The Hey Boris song. The one goes, Hey Boris, I want to know how you sleep at night. Love it. It's my favorite song these days. Great talking to you guys. For the record, that's uh, an interrogation of uh, Mr. Johnson's morality set to the tune of Hey Baby. It's it's really quite catchy. Um, we'll have to try to have some of the folks at the music school record it someday. The weather that Saturday did really have an almost operatic quality to it. Uh, a pallid grey sky with just a few sun breaks to cut through the dampness. Uh, unsurprisingly, there was a lot of criticism of the political system at the protest, but I wasn't expecting to hear it in equal measure from outsiders and insiders. Even for the people with the right passes, the process felt inaccessible. Even for the observers, the negotiations were opaque. The conference remains largely out of reach to those most affected by climate change and is becoming increasingly corporate. I heard long-time indigenous delegates describe it as the worst cop they'd ever seen. After what many would consider a disappointing first week, that hulking conference center down the road can feel unmovable even to those inside it. But I would say the sun did shine, even if not over COP. For the briefest moments, the sun shone over the streets of Glasgow as we and thousands of others marched for a greener, brighter future. There is no denying the role and place of climate protests in allowing the voices of the masses to be heard, in the sharing of hope and the galvanizing of action. But yeah, that's all from us. Uh, fingers crossed there is a little ambition in whatever bureaucratic vehicle our leaders push out at the end of the week. And a massive thank you to our co-producers for this episode, Amelie, Bryn and Sanaya. We would not have survived the rain and the wind without you. Stay tuned for next week's episode where I will be diving into the world of NGOs, data and activism.